This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it because I've got a chat, a ripper conversation, as a matter of fact, with Scott Edgar. He's the guitarist par excellence in Misery, Laceration Mantra, and also Motorized, which is a Motorhead tribute. And I watched them last night, and they put in a fantastic show at the back room. Now, the catalyst for the conversation with Scott is due to my curiosity. I watched him and his bandmates in Misery put in a fantastic show earlier on in the year, and I was so impressed that I just had to reach out to Scott and gauge his interest in having a chat, and lo and behold, he said yes, so here it is. I must add that this chat was recorded on the 30th of April, 2023, so a few months ago, and some of the things we talk about have already, of course, come to pass. Either way, here he is, Scott Edgar. What takes up more of your time these days? Is it laceration mantra or misery? Oh, I'm doing uh, producing the laceration album at the moment, so that's taken up a shitload of time. Mm. Uh, misery's been taken up a bit too, but um, yeah, I think uh, we're going to chill for a little while with the misery stuff. Um, yeah, and then we're, we're, I'm just going to finish this album and. Um, been doing the motorized thing, which is taking up a bit of time. There. So, yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you about motorized. Yeah, is that is that because that's a motorhead? Is it a tribute or is it a cover show? It's a tribute show, something. Sort of yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we're mainly doing all the the real early stuff and the like the fast Eddie era sort of a couple of later ones, but yeah, it's wicked. So we're yeah. going, playing with the Iron Maidens in all oh, this weekend. Coming up, so and oh, it is too. Yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah. good. Yeah, where where whereabouts in Brizzy are you playing with that one? Uh the Trifford. I hope get people. Yeah, that's great. Links on the Sunday. Yeah. yeah, is it? Yeah, I wonder if we've got a public holiday the next Monday after that. I might get along to that one as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah that'd be good. Yeah. they're really good. Yeah. Oh, I've it's spoken a- to the bassist before. Yeah, I can't remember her name now, but lovely lady and uh, yeah. great bass player. Yeah. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, they're spot on, hey? They, they do it so probably. Yeah, that's probably the best Iron Maiden cover band around, I reckon. Those are both ladies. Yeah, well, they've been doing it for a while now, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah they get the nuances of it, don't they? Yeah, they do. You know, like, I mean, if you're going to do a tribute, you've got to like nail the solos and like, you know, put in the extra to make it as close as possible, sort of thing, you know? Yeah, that's, uh, you, you've probably seen how, how many tribute and cover shows are there around these days where they you know, there's the Queen show and the Garden of the show. Yeah, God knows how many ACDC shows there are in Australia and just on the East Coast alone. But um, a lot of the time they're just using backing tracks as well uh, to mimic things. And I'm not saying it's inauthentic. I mean, you've got to do what you've got to do because God knows I use backing tracks too when I play. But um, you, you, you really feel it when a band gets it right, don't you? You really notice it. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there's a band called Paradise City, I think, from the Gold Coast, the, the Gunners band that we played with. They're pretty spot on. They're probably yeah. the best we've seen so far. So so with Motorize, is that is that through um, Pushworth and that sort of thing? Do you have get booked through those guys or is it through an agency, another agency? Oh, this tour's through Silverback, the Maiden's one. We've done a couple of his shows in the past, so... We, we know him and um, yeah. yeah, 
us just to hop on board whichever ones we could get to, basically. Yeah, so, that's yeah, cool. We're doing four shows. So, yeah, yeah, yeah man. Cool. Oh, usually, you know, we just sort of, I mean, we don't play that often unless people ask us to, you know, or something comes on. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, you got you got your eyes in plenty of fires there, and yeah, just yeah. for people listening, the how our introduction was that I went to a misery show. My first, I can't believe it took me thirty whatever years to get to a bloody misery show. There you go. Um, saw you guys, and I was just blown away by your guitar performance. I'm, I'm a, I consider myself, I'm a, I'm a bassist, but I also play guitar, and I'm not judgmental, but I'm a, an aficionado, and I, I like classy playing and. When I saw you were playing, it was probably the first time I'd really been blown away by somebody sitting watching Trey from Morbid Angel. Ah, geez, and, and just the bolt-type riffage that you were doing was just so crunchy and so heavy. And the point I wanted to make after that was that if any young guitarists out there who are starting out and wanting to figure out the fundamentals of extreme metal guitar playing, because it's quite technical, as you know, you're the you're one of the guys to watch. You're just not on overseas radars or what have you. But man, anybody in Australia, I'd be if you were offering a service, mate, between you and Maddie Wilcock down in Melbourne, mate, you've both got to sign up. I'll oh, maybe should go into business, eh? <laughs> mate, instead of selling risk by the pound. But but it's just I, I love excellence, mate. And just to be I was it was I love misery, but I hadn't got into it. I got, hadn't gotten to the band at the point where I really understood the nuance like I do with Morbid Angel and some of the other death and Nocturnus and these sort of things. But just watching you live, it was just like it was one of those rare gigs and Vinny's uh, on the uh, at Southport there. That's where I saw you. And I didn't want the show to finish. I was really disappointed that we'd stop playing. And that's made that or that never happens. I, can't, I think the last time that probably happened was 15, 16 years ago or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was a good show, that. That was, uh, yeah, everything seemed to click that night. Yeah. Yeah, I think with, uh, with the misery stuff, that it, um, it's got a lot more space, so you can sort of, you know, than a lot of the really fast metal stuff. So, I, you know, if someone's starting and wanting to figure out, just start slow and play light and, you know, fucking don't try and play too many notes all at once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're a band with no weaknesses, though. Damon up front is just just an excellent front man. He's just got yeah. it down pat. The, the look, everything is so imposing. Great bass playing. And then the other fella, his name, sorry, I should have checked it before I got on the call with you. On the other what? guitar, you guys are, yeah, a perfect complement for each other. And then the drums too, mate. They're, they're just there and... I just we've we just arrived at a point. I've been saying it now for a couple of years, but we've got so many great options in Australia with extreme metal apps. Mm. There's so many really good ones around at the minute, and uh, you know, being a, a local, I'm sort of word isn't proud, I suppose. But I'm just really glad that you guys are local, and I can show people what Brisbane death metal sounds like internationally, and say this is the standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Damon's bloody amazing. The, the frontman, he's uh, very imposing. Got a good stage presence, I reckon. He um had a fucking car accident a couple of days ago, so he's uh, on good way at the moment. Because so. he's up at Baloney, isn't he? Or he's up at Sunshine Coast. Yeah. Way, he's taken to me. yeah, okay, yeah. Was he? Yeah, is he, is he in hospital or is he just? Uh, he was. He's out now, but um, yeah, he got cleaned up by a truck, and um, yeah, he hit the door, and oh, he he was in hospital for a day, I think. 
and he's got um, cracked ribs. But apart from that, he's all right. I kind of cars written off. <laughs> but thank you. Yeah, it was pretty pretty trippy. Uh, that happened on Thursday. Thursday was it? Yeah. Well, I mean, that was going to be one of the questions I had. On uh, when you sort of mentioned an album, just in our opening exchanges, there is that for misery or laceration mantra? What's that? Sorry, you mentioned a new album. Is that for misery oh, yeah, or yeah. Lac- laceration? Um, yeah, I'm working on a misery one too. We're doing a live album. So. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. And we're going to. There's a recording we did back around 2000 that we never released. So we're going to. Uh, do that as well and add a, a, another new song that we did a few years ago onto it. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Yeah. A lot going on though. Yeah, the, the Laceration album is the main thing I'm working on at the moment. So is that is Laceration really the, when you I, I start to sort of prepare to tears, I suppose, but is that the one that takes up most of your time? Uh, it depends what's happening, you know, but yeah, it has mm-hmm. until uh, – yeah, you know, misery sort of kicked off a bit more recently, so that sort of took over for a while. And then, then, you know, this motorized stuff comes up every now and then, so we just sort of juggle it. You know, it's basically the same dudes doing it. So we said, I noticed that yeah. bass player <laughs> and singers. Do <laughs> <laughs> you do any singing in the bands? Pardon? Do you do any singing in the bands yourself? I do a bit of backing vocals in motorized, but no, none in the death metal stuff. Yeah. You haven't tried it? Given it a go? Oh, man. I was, it's just too much for me, eh? I can't. Um, it, like, it's rock and you just hang in a chord and you can sing, you know, but when you're trying to play and concentrate on what you're trying to do and it's all technical, I just can't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you're not wrong. I, I, I don't blame you for giving that explanation. Yeah. So with your playing, mate, are you are you one of those guys who you develop your technique very early on, or do you think it was a fairly long evolution? Yeah, I think I did. Eh? Yeah, well, I was influenced a lot by there's a, a good mate of mine, Tony Champ, um, who's a, a tattooer down in down the Gold Coast these days. But um, he was a bit older, and we we started jamming, and he had a little, little Hendrixy sort of. Style, but he's all in, into the shredders and all that as well, like all the early cacophony and all that sort of shit. And uh, he was he was a big influence on me. And I was only about eighteen back then, so. Um, but um, yeah, I think um, I don't know. I just sort of it just sort of came naturally, and just was able to pick things up by ear and stuff like that. So. Because misery started. Well, misery started not long after the extreme metal emerged out of parts of Britain and the United States as well. So, were you influenced by those bands, or was were you, were you like what happens a lot of the time? I find in Queensland is that, like the Saints, the original punk band, one of the first punk bands ever, they just seem to evolve out of absolutely nothing and with nobody influencing. There they were; they were just there and formed. Is that same for you guys? Well, I don't know. personally, I was into punk and stuff as as well as the. The rock stuff in the like eighties and that, but um, mm. yeah, the first um, thing that really what made me want to play death metal was like that um, Morbid Angel, that the early stuff they did, and Bobbrower, yeah. and just the heaviness of that, and early Carcass, and um, yeah. So yeah, we sort of heard that and went, oh well, yeah, that sounds pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. I had to 
try and do it, you know. But we were all sort of playing. We were playing in a band called Northwinds, Damon and I, prior to that, which started off playing like Creator and the Thrashier sort of shit. Yeah. And that sort of morphed into death metal as um, as it turned into misery. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned punk and then, of course, you know, the, the original, great originators of Carcass and Morbid. But um, see, I can hear some some stuff like in your just in your riff writing, I can hear whether it's an influence or it's just my own comparisons, Candlemas and Black Sabbath. I can hear that as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, that's a lot of Damon's right into He's a massive Sabbath fan. But um, I really like My Dying Bride and mm. all that stuff. Uh, and Sabbath, obviously. Yeah. yeah, there's big Sabbath influence in it, I think. What, what are the best, what are the greatest compliments that I think I can give to you is all of your riffs sound precise, meaning that, like, when I listen to Megadeth, and David Staines admiss, admitted this himself many times, that he was influenced by producers and even engineers, I think, like on the album Euthanasia, and it ruined some of the songs where he was told to speed it up or slow them down to fit in with the radio, beats per minute that would be played on radio. Whereas with your stuff, I listen to it and go, would I change, as a musician, would I change, if I was in a rehearsal room and I was in bassist, for example, would I say, hey, let, let's play this a bit faster? The answer is, for all, all of the stuff that I've heard from you, is no. And that's, mm-hmm. that's such an important element of songcraft, that one there, that often gets overlooked by, by people. They just think, oh, if you've got a riff, no, you've got to actually get the riff at the right meter, the right tempo. And yeah. then that's where your crushing heaviness, I think, comes from. Yeah, yeah. And the transition between the riffs, I think, is important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was like um, the whole, it's not an exaggeration to say that it felt like the whole room was shaking on, on your riff changes because it's just this gate coming down, jump, 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 yeah. and you can just feel the air getting sucked out of the room and coming back in again. You know, yeah. sucked out when you stop it and coming back in when you start playing again. And so there's a real art to that, man. I've, I've really only seen of all of the metal bands that I've seen, and there've been hundreds at this point, there'd be three or four that I think really get that aspect of it right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I understand what, what makes heavy music heavy music, if you like, because it's not speed, I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, yeah, produ- what you said, producers do wreck things a bit, you know, because they're paid to do something, so they've got to be shown to have done something, I guess. But, um, yeah. Yeah. We... A lot, some of those songs were like just come like straight away, and that's how it is. But some of them we sort of crafted a fair bit before we recorded them, you know. Yeah, on tune, but yeah, if having someone you don't know come in and go, Oh, change this, change that. Yeah, fuck that. Oh, it's 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 completely look in some cases, I think you need it. I've worked with Richie Norton from Super Heist before, and he's a producer, and he's told me some situations where he's asked bands to rearrange things. And from what he was saying, it was just because they, oh, you know, it's only track 10 or 11, and we'll just bung it on. It's like, no, rewrite it, get it right. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I suppose that's good constructive advice, sort of thing. I mean, if, you get, yeah. if you're going to record something, you should. Be confident that it's the best it can be before you record it. You know, I reckon. So, oh, I tend know. to agree. Yeah, and it's your music, so it's got to be how it is. You know. Yeah, something else that's come up. I can't remember if it was with Richie or another producer, but telling me uh, 
how many bands, like well-known bands too, would arrive at a studio without having written any songs. They just think they can wing the song in the studio, the songwriting process in the studio. And it's like, mm. holy shit. Yeah, that's a, what, too much pressure, man. <laughs> oh. Well, it's it's interesting that the, the producer talks interesting because uh, the, my opinion on Silverchair, for example, completely different kettle of fish to what we're talking about. Ultimately. You know, Daniel Johns, he needed Kevin Shirley big time. Kevin Shirley on that first album, we had done. The guys in Iron Maiden, to give you an example, okay? They heard what Kevin Shirley did on Frog Stomp and said, You're going to be our guy from now on. That's how, that's how good his work on that album was. Okay. And, and you can listen to everything else Daniel Jones has done after that one fucking album when he was about 12 or 13 or something. It's just garbage. Because yeah. he thought he, he thought he knew best, but he, he's, because he's a, he's got a mental health issue, clearly. Yeah. But he needed somebody to be very stern with him and go, no, if you weren't going off into this part of the universe, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Stay yeah. here and yeah. do this. So there's an example where a producer really works if you've got a precocious talent, but not with you guys. Yeah, it'd be silly. Just depends on the band, I guess. If you just certain chemistry, you know, it just comes together and you know that it's that's what it should be, you know. Other times it's not quite there and you just keep chiseling away. But yeah, yeah, it's got to be right well, before you crack it seriously. I think. <laughs> yeah. What What about the lineup changes and the like in misery? Because from I was, I've only got Encyclopedia of Italian to go by, so it doesn't look like you've had too many over the course of thirty years. No, Damon and Ant and I have been constant. Yeah, we've had a couple of vocalists and um, uh, one other guitarist. Really, that's it. Yeah. It's not a bad track record, is it? Yeah, no, no it's been a long time, man. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that, that means it's a cohesive unit that's working for you guys, clearly. I mean, it's, it sounds like it works and it clearly does work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we had a big break for a long time because Damon moved over to the States. He got married and stayed over there for about 10 years or however long it was. So but, um, when he came back... Um, that's when I did like laceration, mantra, and all that sort of formed around then. Um, uh huh. But yeah, it's um as soon as you come back, it, it just clicks, man. You know, there's chemistry. It's like Anthony and I have always played together uh, since the start, really, in heaps of different bands. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely got something going on there. <laughs> Yeah, what with with regards to your songwriting, then how do you choose what makes what is a misery song, and or do you, do you just know what's a misery song and what's a laceration mantra song when you're forming the riffs? Yeah, well, it's sort of right with the what that band is in mind, sort of. You know, they are they they're similar in a way, I suppose. I think. Um, but I, I haven't really written any misery stuff for quite a long time. So I um, mm. wrote a couple a few years ago that we tracked. That, uh, yeah, if I were to write a misery song, it wouldn't probably have a different sort of vibe to it, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you guys work with Ian Redman a lot too, don't you, from memory? Yeah, he does live sound for us whenever he's around, but he's usually travelling all over the world these days. But, uh, yeah, he's a he's a good lad. 
Great fella. Yeah, I really like Ian, actually. He, I was in Cross Trigger and he recorded us back in 2010 and always seen him at the metal shows, mate, and he's, he's advocated for me on a couple of occasions, you know, when I was catching up with the metal church guys and stuff, the bloody, it was all prearranged with the security guys, wouldn't that be bloody up to the upstairs area in the old uh, crowbar there and uh, Ian advocated for me, mate. I really appreciated that, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a bloody good bloke. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, what about with your, just with your your standard of playing early on? Was it did you sort of have big hopes and aspirations that you could take what you were doing to the world? Was that even a, a thought? Uh, I don't know. We're a bit isolated out here, you know. Like we've had a lot of interest from overseas, and we've had we were supposed to tour America with um, who was it? Deeds of Flesh, I think, back in the nineties, but. For whatever reason, we couldn't get the cash together to get, get it happening. Yeah. Label support, yeah, because you guys were on Warhead, weren't you? Yeah, at that time we were, yeah. 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 In the earlier days, we were with a, a local label, local Brizzy label. What was the, the – I'm talking to Brad on and off, actually, about getting him on the show. Um, yeah. Because I want to know where all the bodies are buried, if you know what I'm saying. So, he's the guy to ask. But what, what was your experience and your memories of working with Brad and uh, I can't remember his wife's name, but you know the Warhead crew. Yeah, they were great, man. Yeah, I actually ran into Rod recently at a at a gig because uh, I think he told me that Brad's living up the Gold Coast or down the Gold Coast. So. Yeah, and he is yeah. too. So, yeah, now they were great to deal with, man. Like, um. They, they had the promotional shit down pat, you know, and it was all, all going great. But then uh, it folded, so that was that. Yeah, I, I think they lost I, – I don't know shit, okay, which is why I'm trying to talk to Brad about things, but I was a huge fan of what they were doing. Bands like uh, you guys, especially Revel and Blasphemy, was I, I spun that a lot. That oh, they did. Oh, yeah, they, they were really on it, hey. Like, yeah, I was yeah. quite surprised when it all went. Put, but uh, yeah, whatever reason you have to ask Brad about that, I guess. Yeah, I'll have to try and find out because I know we tried to do the magazine in, in the pit or from the pit or something like that. And I bought a couple of those, but then it stopped. And I don't think there was much sales on that. And uh, look, extreme metal, as you know, mate, it's, it's a cottage industry, it's yeah. uh, it's really fan driven, yeah, in your face. Sorry, there you go, yeah, yeah. there you go, good, yeah. Yeah, the good old days, mate. Yeah, that was about. I think they had like proper distribution for that, like Australia wide and all the news agencies and all that back then. Correct. Yeah. Well, if they were in Sydney, you could buy it from my experience. You could get it up here or you could get it in Melbourne or what have you, whenever I was traveling around. A bit like Metal Maniacs, remember Metal Maniacs? You could get that in most places, airports, you know, you could get it in most places provided they were a. A mainstream manufacturer or mainstream stockist of goods, you know. It's um, but yeah, those, those old warhead days. Do you do you think? Here's a question for you. Okay, do you you sort of look back fondly on the old days as being better than what what things are like nowadays, or is it just different? Uh, I don't know. It's um, not much different to what it is these days, really. It's just you know, venues come and go and. Yeah. Don't adjust. <laughs> Shit happens. <laughs> Whatever. 
it's, it's, uh, it's I don't really see that much difference, man. Like, you know, there's always festivals popping up here and there. And if you're, if you're good enough, you get asked to play them, I guess. But it's, yeah, I don't know. Things, labels, especially um, like smaller labels, like obviously people change their lives and want to do different shit, you know, and they move on. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so especially in Australia with jazz metal, it's really not that easy. Well, it's probably easier now, but back then it wasn't easy to get international label support because they didn't want to ship you over touring, you know, everywhere from Australia. You know, yeah, so you had to do what the destroyer, the destroyer six 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 guys did. Yeah, you got to relocate basically. Yeah, um, that's. Seems like that's the only way to be successful in Australia is to move like move to Belgium or Denmark or something like that or Holland, I think it wasn't those yeah. guys and uh, and or the US. I know some people tried the US, but the US always. I keep on hearing. Not I used to hear a lot of stories about people going over there. The cryogenic guys who were on um, Warhead Two, you know, they when they split up, they had another band called In the Name of, I think it was called, and yeah, and they went over there for a bit and didn't work out. I'm not saying that. In, well, they did the wrong things or they, had, they didn't have bad luck or good luck or either way, but I've only ever heard bands going over there for a bit and then coming back with a, a nice unit credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Was, was um, um, Sankey in that band, the drummer? Is that cryogenic? Uh, that was Jen- Jenkins. Uh, I can't remember his first name now. But they're all up here these days, mate, all of those guys. Not all, but I think he's. I see yeah. his occasionally see some Facebook stuff or what have you. And, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with those guys. I mean, there's a couple of those bands. They were a great band, man. I would love to have seen them and you guys, Cryogenic and you guys, back to back, back in the day. Jesus. Yeah. That would have been a heck of a fucking show if that ever worked out back then. Yeah, Manticore were another good band from back then on Warhead. They were bloody brilliant, mate. They're from Wagga or something like that, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we ran into Steve recently. So we did uh, uh, when uh, Skits came up and did his drum clinic thing. He asked us mm-hmm. to do a couple of songs with him. Uh, yeah, Steve was in his uh, backing band doing the thing, playing manicure and fucking um, yeah, all Skits' stuff. It was cool. That's good. Good to know, actually. Um- like, again, that's another band I haven't seen, Damaged, and 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 seen. I know Matt does, does a lot of other things these days, but um, j- just with the, again, without pissing in your pocket too much again, with the calibre of you playing, were you one of the more in-demand guitarists in the extreme metal genre in Australia? Back then, Like, did you get a lot of calls from management types saying, hey, are you available? No. That's <laughs> <It's> crazy. <laughs> Jesus. That's um, interesting. Oh, the, the band... Um, Sort of, yeah, we, as, as we, after the first album that sort of took off, we we got calls to do gigs, but I never got any like personal calls to do guitar shit or anything like that. But uh, I have done a bit of session work, but yeah. Is that with Ian, is it, or other stuff? Oh, whatever pays. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah that, well, that. I've done country shit session work and sorts of crap. I hate that music, but you know, it's money. 
Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a bit like you in that. Like, in the, you know, I play covers, so after a while, when we're playing fucking achy, breaky heart or whatever it might be, I don't even notice what we're playing. To be quite honest with you, I'm just yeah, following yeah. the notes and making sure it's tight. I don't I don't even isn't they, playing it. Yeah. They love it. <laughs> yeah, no. It's yeah. just you're just trying to make sure, especially because I'm doing singing these days. Uh, you're just trying to make sure everything fits, in particular because we don't have a guitarist at the moment in the cover band, so we're using a different one every every show. Uh, and I've got to make sure it's locked down, being the bassist. I've got to make sure that even when they're not sure what's going on, I've just got to keep playing through. Yeah. Um, so I think I've sort of sort of become very utilitarian in my approach to being a musician. It sounds like you've, you've arrived at a similar, similar place. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't do that anymore. I don't have time now, but, um, yeah. Um, no, I just want I just want to play heavy shit, really. Yeah. Well, you do it fucking well, mate. Yeah, gosh, yeah. It's music to a lot of people's ears, I reckon. <laughs> Hearing that you want to keep on playing heavy shit. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to, man. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah fuck yeah. But, yeah, there's a lot going on at the moment. So we've, um, we just went down to fucking Adelaide and played at that um, New Dead down there, which was pretty cool. Mm. So, Great Australian acts down there. Yeah, yeah and you did uh, the Tasmanian thing. Sorry, I can't. What's it? Dark Mofo or Dead of Night? Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, it was kind of weird though, because it was um, like in a gap in the COVID um, yeah. era, and we got managed to get down there. But it was um, it was at the Odeon Theatre. But it was everyone had to sit down. Everyone had to wear masks. No one could stand up. All these fucking rules, you know. It was just kind of surreal. <laughs> you will do what we say, then and how. Yeah, it's all it's on video. I think it's on YouTube somewhere. Like the whole show. Yeah, I've seen it. It's a good show. It's, it's a bloody good it's, show. It's kind of strange. I mean, I'm just sitting there in a seat clapping. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like you're a, like you're having a matinee performance or something like that. That's and everyone's wearing white masks. It's like, it was fucking weird. Did you, you didn't have to wear masks on stage, did you? No, but no, we didn't. Luckily, I was surprised though. But yeah, nah. that was a pretty strict time back then, wasn't it? Very <laughs> odd. It was. I mean, for us, it was weird that we became like a hermit kingdom or something like that when she fucking closed the borders. You know, which is crazy on the Gold Coast, as you know, because the Queen, the New South Wales thing doesn't kick in until you get well past Ballin. You know, everybody from Ballina North is part of the Gold Coast, effectively, and that's where the, you know, if you've got to go to a specialist doctor or whatever, you go to Tweed or, yeah. or Southport. And you couldn't. That's crazy, eh? Yeah. I think I've got to go back and I definitely remember the bloody idiot premier of ours saying, uh, saying our hospitals are for Queenslanders or something like that. I mean, it was a disgusting thing to say when there were people dying out there of non-COVID-related illnesses. But yeah. Uh, look, yeah, she's she's a fucking nutcase, mate. Excuse my language. Yeah, it's a uh, government overreach, that's for sure. Oh, it was a terrible thing, and I, I remember talking to Maddie Maddie Wilcock about what was going on down there in Melbourne, and it just seemed unconscionable was the word I want to use. Yeah. You know, not backed by any science, but how much the lefties want to jump up and down and bang on about it. There's no science that supports their actions through that period. It was just politics, plain and simple, and that's been proven. Uh, they were doing surveys, government-funded surveys, right, to work out what the population wanted. It turned out that there was this whole bunch of this block of voters that wanted everybody to be stuck at home because they believed the propaganda. 
And, uh, and as you know, mate, there were venues that didn't, didn't open up after life came yeah. and returned. Oh, it you killed know, all these and it, yeah, A lot of mental health issues stem from it too, you know, from people being fucking locked up and, you know, lots of issues arose from it, unfortunately. I, I can tell you now, personally, my alcohol consumption went through the fucking roof through that period of time. And uh, so there was just, what, what, do you, what do you do? You know, we're, we're educating the kids at home over Zoom or Teams or whatever it was, you know. I was, um, yeah, it was, it was impossible, really. And the fucking very, teacher didn't know what they were doing and no one knew what the fuck was going on. Was, yeah, unreal. I just, I just can't understand how we arrived at a point where we all thought that was acceptable. I mean, now it's only just now, mate, particularly in Victoria, that the court cases are, are, are happening mm. with the police that were beating the living shit out of people. I mean, it's just a crazy. One bloke was literally the, the, um, he was the reasons that the defending uh, solicitor gave to the judge for why this guy was beaten up by police. And I kid you not was because he was wearing glasses and standing next to a wall. Fuck. I, and I just thought, how have we arrived at a point where where we where our very uh, just our very humanity seems to be sidelined? Because the, the solution can never be worse than the than the problem itself. You know, it's just created so many issues and and you've got people now. Um I, I don't I mean it's it's you know, it's, you know you, you've got people now, sorry, I'll make the point is that they're they're so attuned to just doing what the government tells them to do. It's like, well, there's good and bad governments, guys. Have a look overseas. I mean, just about all of South America, just about all of Africa, great swathes of Asia have shitty governments in power that oppress their people. Yeah, governments yeah. governments are a very very. It should be like what John Howard says: very governments do their job best in countries like Australia when the general population barely notices that they exist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I spent some time growing up in Africa, so yeah, the governments there were corrupt to the extreme. But uh, I don't think it changes too much. <laughs> no, well, as you know, how many South Africans are moving, moving, have been for the last 20 years. Mm. Um, we had them moving next door to us a couple of years ago, a lovely couple, but they were shell shots, mate. They had PTSD. Mm. You know, and they, uh, just the, the stories that they told me, mate, about, they simply couldn't, they, they arrived at a conclusion, they simply couldn't have kids in South Africa. It was just not, forget about not safe, it was just irrational to do that. Yeah. So they, so they moved over virtually nothing and he was a cabinet maker, so he just used his hands to start building a life in his wife, you know. Um, and eventually now they've got lovely kids, mate. But it's, I, I even though I used to do a lot of swimming in the lifeguard at um, Pimpamar there, she's South African too, yeah, she's, she got out when she was 16 or 17 yeah. of South Africa. It's extremely dangerous. And just the media being the fucking media, mate, they don't uh, – it's narrative. It's not news, and it hasn't been news for a long time, as we know. It's just narrative. Yeah. They tell a story that wanna go, they want to go out there. I think countries like South Africa, they should go back to black banning their um, sports teams. Yeah. And, saying, and until, until you have a social welfare policy in place where people aren't judged by the colour of their skin, which is what's going on over there. Yeah. Um, so you can't compete. Yeah, it's fucking crazy, eh? What can you do? Uh, mate, we, we've got the music. I think that's why I like music so much because it's a bit of an anchor in this crazy old world. You yeah. Know, and, uh, it's a good outlet. You know, 
It is, and, and just listening, when I see someone, a performer like you, someone who's got that, that command of their craft, that's very inspiring. It does. It takes you away from what we just spoke about there. It doesn't mean that that stuff's not important or, you know, it's not a reductionist point of view to say that, but it is saying that art and creativity and excellence around this sort of thing, it inspires you to feel good about the good things in life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 That's fucking... Uh... Yeah. Uh, I've yeah. been influenced by some of my uh, upbringing, that's for sure, and to live in those third world countries and stuff like that. So, was your father part of the Peace Corps or a diplomat, wasn't he? Uh, no, I grew up, I was born in England and grew up in England. And then uh, it's when Maggie Thatcher was in government, then there was a big recession over there and he couldn't get work. So um, he got a job over in nigeria so we moved over there for a, a while um yeah and it was yeah pretty pretty bad pretty nasty place to, to be um yeah. saw a lot of things a kid probably shouldn't see <laughs> and uh, but uh, yeah i think that that's definitely influenced the way i've grown and um the way i think and express anger i guess through music yeah 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 oh, definitely yeah that, that ability to channel uh emotions that might otherwise be negative or harmful into something that's really productive like what you've done is commendable man. yeah 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 oh, art is great that sort of thing isn't it oh that and sport i think those two outlets if you can sort of harness the sport gets a bit you know, messed up but music is you know because music's great because you can just do it by yourself in your bedroom or your living area all these apps and programs and stuff that are out there these days you know even if you just sing karaoke just something very basic like that just to sort of feel creative again mm. well music's limitless too isn't it so, mm. well the guitar i think there was the the uh, remember that movie um Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? Remember that chime? Remember that? Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 <laughs> that thing there? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, I'll get it wrong in terms of the number, but apparently there were hundreds of combinations just because of the, there's four notes or five notes in that. Yeah. And they, they realised, oh, well, you know, there's only going to be a couple of ways we can do this. And then when they mathematically worked it out, just from those four combinations of notes, it compounds. So one is one note, obviously two, and then it starts compounding after that. And yeah. there was hundreds of different versions of the beat and the rhythm and the melody that they could have chosen on that. Now, that's four notes. And you look at the chromatic options on a guitar, fretboard, it's limitless. You can you can sit there and learn all of the modes and all of the scales and then do all of the scales, uh, the modes in the, you know, Middle Eastern modes or whatever there might be out there that aren't quite, you know, part of the textbooks that we follow. And you think you can do almost anything with this you really want. It's just a matter of, like, to your point a, a moment ago, working out what you're trying to do with the guitar on an emotional level and using that as like your muse or the way you channel you channel your creativity yeah 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 well, i purposely don't I, I sort of try and steer clear of you know, concrete theory sort of thing and yeah like lots of um um sort of weird modes and eastern sounding scales and that sort of thing yeah and later on i went on to study a bit more about normal theory but um yeah i've always really dug that sort of weird sort of 
minor weird fucking sounding shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got, the other guitarist that comes to mind when I was watching it was uh, Jeff Hanneman. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Yeah, I could definitely – I've seen Slayer once and uh, well, Ke- Kerry cops a lot of shit, but his rhythm's tight and, and you're similar. You know, it's a very tight rhythmic flow that he's got going on. I'm not a fan of some of his alternative picking stuff. I think he sort of trips over himself occasionally, which I don't yeah. understand because God knows I do it. But yeah. um, when you're playing as fast as what they are with a drummer that doesn't miss a beat like Dave Lombardo, yeah. Um, you've really got to have your level of your level of there's that word like I used up top precision in order to really nail it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, oh, it's good to just play outside the box a bit too, though. You know, not fucking just copy shit that other people are doing. Just, yeah, I think that's important. There's too many, too much shit that sounds all the same these days. Well, always has really. <laughs> Yeah, I speak to a lot of a lot of bands, and yeah, some of them definitely. Like I get stuff sent to me from Metal Blade, Napalm, Nuclear Blast, all the usual ones. And uh, there's a whole cohort of that stuff. To your point, there, that it, it's like the the producer that they've used is is a is a like there's a template that so many yeah, of these yeah. bands seem to use and apply. It's, it's, it must be a template because the sound. It doesn't matter what they're playing, but it's just mm. not memorable, and it all sounds very compressed and. When I put it into Premiere Pro, it's bricked. You know, the waveform yeah. is bricked and it's just, what are they doing? You know, it's just there's no waves and no dynamic in it. Yeah, no, the, the hooks and dynamics and that sort of thing. Yeah. Which is, uh, yeah, seems to be lacking. But, yeah, there's a lot of fucking really cool shit coming through as well. Yeah. the same token that I've heard. There's a band called Salt Money that I... Saw recently, they're fucking pretty wild. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I haven't heard of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're like, yeah, just crazy, intense sort of shit. Yeah, have a look at them. Yeah, good. from Brazil, I think. Salt yeah. money. Okay, I'll check them out. Yeah, I've been going just with the music show that I put together. I, uh, I've been on a bit of a sentient ruin trip. The label Sentient Ruin from um, oh. Oakland in California. Yeah, they just they just have the most extreme shit possible. Mm-hmm. This stuff and uh, some of it's borderline unlistenable, but I, I subject myself to it because I often find there's it it helps you appreciate a lot of extreme music when you listen to the most extreme stuff and you sort of stay with it for a bit. Yeah, yeah, well, I find that sort of relaxing, eh? It's like so, uh, I don't know it's, it's kind of calming in a way. <laughs> oh, I'm with you. I, I listen to a lot of it to go to sleep, and sometimes yeah. my wife will say, "What are you fucking listening to?" Like. You know, Trepanering's Ritual and as well, you know, which is um, Thomas does this. Uh, when I say it's synth music, that's that's not really the case, but he's using a synth, but he's a lot of weird garbles and yelling and stuff going on over the top. But, again, it's very extreme stuff. It sounds like someone's been tortured in a dungeon half the time. But yeah. it, it it does, mate. I listen to it to go to sleep and I think it works. It does what it does for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess Depends on what was going on upstairs, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it doesn't adjust. <laughs> so how do you keep how do you keep balance with everything? Because you you've got a job, I assume, and family and commitments. Yeah. Like that. So how do you how do you keep balance with everything and not go a bit crazy? I, um, I just try and cram everything in. Eh? I don't know how I do it, but yeah, I work uh, for well four days a week and. 
yeah, got a fam. But um, yeah, the kids are pretty self-sufficient these days. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. Just fucking, just got to structure it, I guess. And it, I mean, it's not not fully constant all the time, which is a good thing. Like, I'm not not away three months at a time. And it's just sort of weekenders and shit. So, yeah, I don't know. We cram it in somehow. And I, I guess it helps that, like, the bands I'm in have interchangeable members as well. <laughs> so we can sort of figure it all out pretty easily. Yeah. yeah what, what do you do? I just love What do you do it. for a day job? What's your day job? I'm a uh, graphics dude. I work in um, communications at a. Um, Community service org. So I'm, that's Shit, we do the same job. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 But I'm more of the publication side of things. Like I do websites and um, annual reports and print. Yeah, same. That sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 I work for, yeah, I, don't hold it against me. I work for the United Church. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I work for the Synod there. And uh, I, um, it sounds like I do very much so. I do all the bulletins and I can yeah. do the websites. It's just you know, we're sort of going through a streamlining process at the moment. But uh, yeah, I do I do all of that sort of stuff that you do and then video work too and podcasting. Obviously, I put the podcasts yeah. together for them. And um, you, it, it just I'm a journo right by trade. I went to Bond, so I yeah. um, yeah, cool. I, I just you know you know how journalism and communications is these days. Now, if it's anything to do with anything that someone reads or looks at, that's us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I don't think we'll ever be short of a gig. No, it's fucking changing and morphing, eh? Like you've got to know how to do fucking everything these days. You're photographer, videographer, fucking graphic design, mm-hmm. comms person. <laughs> but you're yeah, wrong, yeah, yeah. It, it's challenging. It's good. Yeah, I dig it. You keep your brain active, eh? And keep fucking. I think these days I'm so used to, I wouldn't call it multitasking, but like a lot of dynamism in the work that we're doing, meaning that one thing can be answering an email and the next task is putting together a video and then the next task is uh, writing a news media style article to go on Journey Online, which is the online publication for the United Church. Yeah, yeah. there's literally, there's no one day, I'll probably do about seven or eight things in any one day and they're all at 90 degrees to each other. They're all very different. All the tasks yeah. are very different. So I enjoy it, mate. I'd, I'd be, yeah, if I didn't do this job, I don't know what I'd do, mate. I'd, I enjoy it too much. Yeah, yeah. I just like, I like the way it's different every day and there's always something happening. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm at a community services org um, and I sit with some of the teams. We have clients coming in and out. And so it's all go. It's pretty cool. <laughs> no, that's cool, mate. Yeah. Well, then, no, that's great, man. This has been an awesome chat. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I just, I was so inspired by what I saw uh, at Vinny's dive. And I, I just, it was just one of those moments where I was like, man, if, if I can get you to come onto the show and we have a bit of a chat, it'd be awesome. And it has yeah. been great. So I'll, um, I'm going to be at the Zoom show. So, mate, I'll, um, I might tap you on the shoulder and back in. Yeah, cool. Cool. All right, man. Well, thanks for having me, eh? Well, there you have it a chat with the mighty Australian extreme metal guitarist par excellence, Scott Edgar. You really have to watch that guy perform live to understand what uh, why I'm so impressed because he really puts on a show within a show. Love watching his bolt-tight riffage, it's just so tough. 
would love to be able to play guitar like that but uh, his technique is born of many many decades experience and also some very obvious natural talent. Now, if you enjoyed that chat, there are many more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com. And if you like listening, perhaps you like reading and you're in luck because I've written a book, Scars and Guitars, Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. Click the link in the banner on the website and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice. You know the rest, download a sample. And if you do complete the purchase, let me know because I want to thank you personally. On that note, there's a lot more information to share with you about the book, but before we get to that, I need to bid you a fond farewell. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it's a goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew Mackay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, I, just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldina. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and, and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, 
you will obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book. <laughs>